Welcome to Hillside's Equipping Podcast. My name is Belinda Dunn, and I'm the Equip Lead here at the church. This year, our church is reading through 11 books of the Old Testament, which move God's plan of redemption forward and help us understand the New Testament better. Please join us each month as two of our leaders discuss one of these books and how it points us to Jesus. Hello, and welcome to Hillside Fellowship Equipping Podcast, where Jesus changes everything. My name is Michael Edwards, and I am the Men's Bible Study Coordinator. Today, I am joined with one of our outstanding Bible teachers, Tom Tobin. Good afternoon, Michael. Tom, we've covered more than 30 podcasts in the last year, and this is the first time we've been in the same room recording together. Absolutely. It's kind of awkward. That's kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, we are so excited today to uh, talk through 2 Samuel. As we walk through our discussion of 2 Samuel, there's three questions that uh, we hope to answer, and and as you're listening to us, you'll be able to pick that out. The first question is, what's the overall storyline of this book, and how does it fit into the larger story of Israel's history? We'll cover that in just a second. The second question is, what's the overall message or theme of the book? And then the third and final question we'll answer is, how does this book point us to Christ in the New Testament? So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. I think it's important, too, that these are just our examples. We always encourage people to get into God's Word, see what examples that the Holy Spirit lays on them, um, and, and what they can draw from the Word as well. So it's great to listen to the podcast to begin to drive them um, towards some ideas about it, but ultimately we want to we encourage our listeners to be in the Word themselves. So um, this is an exciting time. Looking forward to covering this. Absolutely. Well, let's jump in and let's talk about kind of the outline, if you will, of Second Samuel. You know, throughout the books of Samuel, you'll see how David went from being a shepherd in the fields to serving Saul to ultimately ruling over the nation of Israel. Um, it's a really exciting, uh, you know, growth. Um, and Second Samuel is really the continuation of the historical account of David's rise as the king of Israel. And in the first 10 chapters, the book covers David's reign over Judah and then Israel. The next 10 chapters, chapters 11 through 20, cover David's sin and their consequences and there's a whole bunch of application there for me. I don't know yeah, about you, yeah, Tom. Absolutely. I, I could relate too much. And then uh, chapters 21 and 24 cover the end of David's reign. Um, and I want to share, you know, one of the study tools that I use, um, they really put the theme of Second Samuel in a really concise way. Um, they said, God exalts those who follow after his own heart and humbles those who do not. That kind of yeah, hits yeah. right in the chest, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, Tom, tell me what uh, stood out in the uh, Scripture for you. Well, I think one of the key issues that stood out for me was illustrated when I was studying and then preparing to teach Second Samuel 6, um, kind of the difference between the wrong way and the, the right way of moving through our life and situations. And in that, in that moment, David was making a decision as to whether or not he was going to move the ark, he was going to return the ark. And, and David was making that decision absent of God's will. So for me, Second Samuel is a picture of the children of Israel seeing less of the promised land and more of a time of struggle. And David's taking them through that struggle. So thematically, that's what David's doing. Even today in my own shop, I had a great conversation with an older couple. We talked about how the world is struggling through a time of rebellion. But the reality of it is that God is not surprised, nor does he you know, withhold grace. So David experienced that same grace, but he had kind of two ways of doing things. And I look at it like this. He had kind of the wrong way for the wrong reason. He consulted with captains. The scripture says captains of thousands, hundreds, every leader, and to the entire assembly. If it seems good to you, referring to the movement of the ark. So he's basically asking all the people around him, hey, what do you guys think? He has an honor guard of 30,000 men. And that sounds wonderful, but it still resulted in Uzzah's death. 
And you have to go into the scripture. We just don't have enough time right now to be able to cover all the specifics of it. But I encourage you to go back. So it's it's like a mystery movie, and you get to go and, and dig deeper into it. But so he has this honor guard, which sounds great. You got an honor guard for God. What else could God want? I mean, he was celebrating with religious fervor. So he was out there. He's got the band going. He's got the worship team, and everybody's rocking and rolling. But he was doing it for the wrong reason. Scripture says he hadn't required at it, referring to the ark since the days of Saul. And almost like he was looking at the ark as and God as some benign bellhop that he just wanted to go and 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 summon it and inquire. And he said it was right in the eyes of the people. So as a result, and as a result of that sin and not waiting on God to guide them through, Uzzah was was killed. The right way was what David did afterwards when he recognized, and for me, this is, this is where that grace comes in, is where David recognizes that he was wrong and he repents. So he prepares first his home. So that's him and himself or his family for the return of the ark. And so he goes to God. He has this renewed sense of fear following Uzzah's death. So he recognizes, oh my goodness, I, I really shouldn't have done that. So the next version of this is he has a praise team of about 862 priests and Levites following the original instructions to Moses and the arks carried by poles. So now when they're celebrating with religious fervor, they're doing it in a way that God has called them to, not just a way that David had thought of. And he was doing it for the right reason. He wanted to honor God and be in his presence and to show the entire community how to follow God. So everyone was included in worship and uh, created a great sense of humility. So that really stood out to me in, in all of the studies, and it was reflective of God's mercy and how you can completely blow it and then go to God in, in an honest heart and repent, and he'll turn things around for you. That was for me. What about you? I'll tell you... I really loved how you described wrong way, right way, wrong reason, right reason. I'm picturing this matrix on my wall. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I know how you are with Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. Right? Um, but yeah, a couple of things really stood out for me. It was, uh, you know, I have the attention span of a two-year-old, so mm-hmm. um, it, it takes a lot to really keep me going. And, and this book was one of those where I just didn't want to put it down. Two things really jumped out at me. One of them was D- David's struggle with obedience and then the consequence of his disobedience. That one really just uh, just jumped out at me like you wouldn't believe. His, his, his disobedience gets him into trouble every single time, and his obedience mostly gets him out of trouble. Um, and it was interesting to see both the struggle with Israel and David's struggle with obedience and mm. think through my struggle with obedience as well. So it all really hits home. The other thing that really jumped out at me were the parallels between the story of David and the coming of Christ. Mm. There are so many really neat parallels. We'll talk about a couple of them later on, but that was just a, a you know a couple of really neat things that jumped out at me. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tom, in terms of David's rise and reign over Israel, how did that go? You know, I guess it depends on your perspective, of course. And again, it's that that wave of of David, you know, riding the top of the wave where he's with God and everything's in line, and then it's the drop down into the valley where he's alone and he's not listening to God. And that's one of the things I, I like about David is that I can I feel like I can really relate to him, uh, not as a king, but you know more on the the failing side and then being re, you know repenting and wanting God's grace. One of the things that I did see in this is that it's an era in which Israel is developing, but God's plan is His plan. And it's his plan alone. It's supreme. In today's modern times, when I think about the personal application, I can get stressed out thinking about, 
and especially coming up through private practice, being a business owner, I get really frustrated and have limited patience, if none, for poor leaders. And I've been a poor leader at times, and I'm not talking about simple mistakes, but I'm talking about in general. But one of the things that I, I found through this study was that it wasn't for me to worry about, that God's plan is going to reign, it is going to be continued, and no activity of today's leaders will thwart it. So no plan of an earthly king or leaders will be sustained. They aren't going to bring their own plan to completion, but God will. And so David had, his reign had ups and downs like any other leader, but one of the other key things I saw was his response to being shown his sin and his, his true repentance as a result. Not just, oh, I got caught, and now I'm sorry, but in that moment he recognized his offense to God, and truly it broke his own heart. And I think that's where we get, or where Scripture talks about, you know, how David had a, a heart after God, because at those moments he was aligned. So, yeah. And I love how you called that out, how it broke his heart um, as part of the repentance. I mean, that just that emotion, that that whole act of heart in repentance was it really separates it from what, like you said, uh, you know, hey, I'm sorry. Exactly. Exactly. That. So, Tom, chapters one through ten. What are the quick nuggets? First, God's plan is going to come to fruition regardless of how the world resists, period. I love that. If you repent in honesty and fully, God's grace will cover it all. And then God seeks the person that is willing, not perfect. And I think when I look at it from that summary, I see Christ, truly. God's, God's plan is going to come to fruition, and we see that from this moment all the way through the New Testament, the coming of Christ, his birth, his death, his resurrection, acts, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. So God's plan is going to come through, and we see that in the person of Christ, in the Godship of Christ, and eventually we're going to see that as it's described to us in Revelation. So I think those are the things that summarize it for me. I absolutely love those three points. You know, David struggled through both First and Second Samuel with obedience. What do you think are um, an example of one, one or two of those struggles? I'll give you one example because we want to get this done in two hours or less, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, it's really around the bad choices. And, and you mentioned the wave. And Scott Estep, who's another one of our fantastic teachers on the, the men's teaching team here at Hillside, he used a sine wave to illustrate this. And if you can visualize this sine wave on the wall, it's got the peaks and the valleys. And in the peaks, it was David's obedience and things were going really well. And then the valleys where David was disobedient and not going so well. And, you know, one example of this is in chapter 11. You see that Bathsheba caught David's eye and then he goes out to pursue her. And, you know, chapter 11, verses 2 through 5, I'll share those with you. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking that he saw from the roof a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah uh, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanliness. Then she returned to her house, and the woman conceived and sent and told David, I am pregnant. Wow. Um, That's huge. Yeah. And when you think about that, you know, caught David lustful eye, and rather than, you know, closing his eyes and moving on down the road— he, you know, has a child on the way, and and like you mentioned earlier, it leads to murder and 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 you know some other things. So I mean, this is a huge example of you know David's sin causing him you know some some unintended consequences. 
Yeah, it's like when our our pastor David was talking about stupidity, <laughs> and you know it just starts off with something simple, a, a simple thought, and this is a perfect example of that line of thought. You know, David is up. David the king, not our pastor, is up on the roof one night. He's just catching some fresh air. This woman's up there, and he's looks looked down and goes, "Wow, she's smoking hot." You know, the next thing you know, it leads to lust. Then he starts planning. Then it's lying. Then it's murder. And all of that started with him peeking at her. Right. And I think about how that applies to me in my life. What is it that I'm doing today that's ultimately just a stupid beginning to what's going to be a, a terrible, terrible end? And and so, that, yeah, I just I thought that that was uh, incredible. So shifting gears, kind of the end of David's reign that's found in chapters 21 through 24, we, we continue to see more disobedience and the consequences, Right. So what are some things that you saw there, Mike? Talk about trouble. Chapter 24 <laughs> begins again with the anger of the Lord that was kindled against Israel. This is really big because the Lord's anger against the people of Israel has only been mentioned once before in First or Second Samuel. So, you know, pretty, pretty big deal when, when you've angered the Lord to that degree. But what's interesting is we aren't told why the Lord is angry with the people, but we can probably assume that it's due to sin. So... The Lord's angry. What does David do about it? <laughs> he goes and counts the people. Right? Like, I Pretty don't understand smart. that. And that's the wrong category. Wrong, wrong. wrong. We'll just yeah, call exactly. Wrong. Exactly. He goes out and takes a census. And it just, it makes me wonder, like, why, what, what made you think of that? And again, I always look at things to how does it apply to me? God tells me to do something or I feel like something's going on and I begin to create my own strategy you know, the first thing I think of is, because I'm a doer. Right. And so, you know, David, David, our pastor, talks about thinkers, doers, and feelers. I'm a doer. I'm like, hey, that feels great to you. Perfect. You want to think about it? Fine. But I'm going to go do something, you know, so kind of lead, follow, or get out of the way is my mentality. So he goes out and takes a census. Yeah, it didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Obviously, uh, you know, one of the things, the, the commonalities is when David prays about what to do, he goes out and does it, and the Lord delivers for them. In this case, he takes his census, and, you know, that's not what the Lord wants him to do. That's what David wants him to do. And, you know, the outcome isn't definitely isn't something that the, the Lord wanted him to have. I keep going back to my own story and, you know, the times when I just do. You know, we're both doers, which makes me really surprised that together we get anything done because uh -huh. there's no plan. Yeah. But uh, it, it just I go back to, am I— intentionally asking the Lord for direction on the things that I need to ask him for direction on, you know, whether it's a, a business thing or a relationship thing. And, and it seems like I'm sometimes following David's sine wave of sin and uh, obedience. So, And when you look at what we talked about at the very beginning, the three overarching questions that we discussed, the, uh, the overall storyline of the book, you know, we're talking about that. But again, it's, it, there's so much meat to it. You've got to go back and you've got to read it yourself. But how it fits into the larger story of Israel, and it's the, it's the disobedience, the apology, the, that constant wave, like you said. And then the message or theme of this book, we're sharing with, with our visitors what ours is, what our overall message or theme of the book. And you can look at it from a, a theologian standpoint, and there's book after book after book that's written that point out the overall message or theme. But I think that from a 
practical and personal Bible study, it's important that we go back, we study the Scripture ourselves, and seek the Holy Spirit wisdom and how it applies to us. Because then we're going to talk about the parallels to, to Christ. And, and so I think that... Hey, before um, we get to the parallels in Christ, I do want to talk about one of the outcomes, because we talked about David's true repentance and his, and his heartfelt re- repentance. In this story in chapter 24, you know, the Lord gave him some some options for consequences and he relented david you know asked asked god to spare the sheep right in right. second samuel 14 verses verse 17 that really changed the the consequence the lord showed him mercy um, mm-hmm. because he repented on on behalf of others well and what's interesting is god gives him three basically three punishments right and instead of david going for the least of the punishments I, I got this picture when I saw that, when I first read that, and you know, you read it with a different mindset when you're reading it to try and talk to somebody else about it. But when I read that, I thought about when my dad would tell me when, as a young man, or well, as a boy, you know, when I got in trouble, go get the belt. And what's the first thing that you do? I'm going to get the smallest belt, right. right? Or put a pillow in the back of your pants. Exactly. I'm going to go stuff in the, the toilet paper in my pockets yep. or whatever. But what did we do? We never went and got the smallest belt. And we weren't dumb enough to get the biggest belt, so we always picked the moderate. What I thought was interesting is, you know, because we always want to minimize the pain to ourselves, but I think this is a picture of David's heart and how much he loved the Lord because he then just asked God, you choose, because he trusted in God's mercy and grace more than his own ability. And then as God begins to issue out that punishment, David's heart for the people, for his people, to the point that he just said, bring it all on me. And you almost get choked up thinking about it, but if you want to talk about a parallel to Christ, look at what Christ did for us. Right. I mean, this, I think, is one of the most remarkable parallels because God had a lot of options, and you think about the Old Testament, and here's the ways that we have to go through attaining our forgiveness, right? But then Jesus says, you know, Lord, I hurt so badly that they are hurting, that I just want to take it all on myself. And I thought that that was, that was one of the most remarkable points and parallels between David and Jesus was that moment where he just flat trusted God. And I think about Jesus um, in the garden and when he says, if, you can, if you'll take this, if there's any other way, Dad, take it from me. Mm-hmm. But if not, I'll submit to your will. And David is sitting there saying, there's, you've given me these other ways, but... Ultimately, I'm just going to trust in you. And then when he sees his people being punished, that just to me like brought it all together. Right. You know, uh, and it's no story for probably no coincidence that God put that from <laughs> exactly. a, a oratory or an, uh, you know an author's position. He puts that at the end as we begin First uh, Kings soon. But anyways, I just I felt like I wanted to share that. that I thought it was really important. Uh, what other what other parallels do you see? You know, there were a handful of parallels, and I'll tell you, I use a study tool from Verse by Verse Ministries to uh, provide some additional uh, depth into what I'm, I'm learning. The, their study of both First and Second Samuel are just outstanding. Sadly, Stephen Armstrong, the founder um, and was the lead teacher for Verse by Verse Minister, passed away last year. So this study abruptly stops at chapter 19. But in the, the chapter 19 slides, he has a couple of really neat illustrations, and you can picture David's return and then Jesus' return, and he's got four similarities. David's return at the end of a great battle to conquer a counterfeit king, 
Jesus returns at the end of a great battle to conquer a counterfeit king. David returns to Jerusalem and Judah. Jesus returns to Jerusalem and Judah. Israel remembers they rejected David and mourns the prospect of his response. Israel remembers they rejected Jesus and mourns the prospect of his response. So it's almost, you know, yeah. unplug David, plug in Jesus, right? Yeah. And the last one was David extends grace into all elements of the Jewish nation and beyond to unite them. And then Jesus extends grace to the Jewish nations and Gentiles to uh, unite them. So yeah. Lots of and really of course, parallels. But the one you mentioned, I think, is probably the ultimate. One of the key differences, of course, you know, there's parallels and then there's things that aren't parallel. Jesus was without sin, you know, so he never had to go to the Father and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry for this sin, and I draw from that. I oftentimes say, well, you know, kind of mentally in my, in the stupidity of the beginning of the sinful process, say, well, you know, I'm just a fallen man and, right. you know, kind of a thing. Jesus doesn't say that, you know, and, and I don't have to say that. That's a lie that, that I tell myself that, well, I'm just weak, and, and that's a lie, yeah. you know, and so I think it's important, but I love the the way that you parallel those out because it does give us that picture and and it goes back and sums up and answers that final question. So, you know, we've talked about the overall storyline of the book, um, how it fits into Israel's uh, larger history, uh, what the overall message or the theme of the book is. And again, we've talked about what we feel like the overall message or theme is, and you can look at it from a theologian standpoint, but I think that you get a lot more out of Scripture if you study it yourself and and spend time asking God, how do I apply this to my life? How is David and, and Jesus and their parallel supposed to impact me? Because for me it was it was that moment that I just shared with you. And then finally, you know, the how their parallel then impacts the overall story that God has been writing since Genesis and, right. and uh, continues on through Revelation. And I say through Revelation because it's not like Revelation is the last book. You know, there's Revelation, it's the last book of the Bible, clearly, but it's not the end. And I think that's the thing, especially within the context of today's present society. I am I am finally at a point where I'm reminding myself as I get agitated by what's going on that this is just a depot in in kind of that strip that that train of life. And uh, it's not my final destination. Right. And so um, that's why studying this has meant so much. You know, we've got a, just a few minutes left, Michael. How, well, how would you summarize this? How has this impacted you? Uh, you know, there are just so many bits that I have taken from both First and Second Samuel uh, that I can apply to my life. But the, the big one is really seeking God's advice before you go do something. You know, there are several stories where, um, you know, David sought advice from others and it didn't go so well. And when he sought God's advice, it went well. And, and I think that for me, that is the big thing, my big takeaway that I can apply. Um, and since studying the books of Samuel, I have applied that more regularly. Mm -hmm. How about you? Well, two. One is what I shared about uh, the kind of the wrong way, wrong reason, right way, right reason uh, has really caused me to to step back and ask what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and where do I see God taking us, you know? Yeah. Um, owning the shop that we have now has been such a blessing, but I find a greater and greater burden almost on a weekly basis to have it much more mission-oriented. I've had the blessing of being able to pray with people in our lobby. You know, they're coming in for an oil change and they're hopefully leaving blessed. We shared with our staff that they should always remember that when people pull up, 
they've got a lot of burdens on them and, and we can make this day just not be terrible for them. Um, and they're just expecting to come get an oil change and high pressure sold on stuff. But instead they feel the love of Christ. And so we've had that opportunity. And this study has helped me see how to live in the moment and recognize that I don't, that it, it's Satan that drags me down when I make a mistake. God just has grace to pour out. So if there was just one word that describes this entire study for me, it would be grace. Definitely. And uh, so that's really meant a lot. So Michael, as always, it is wonderful to be able to uh, have a podcast with you. This is Mike Masso, the Men's Equip lead here at Hillside Fellowship. And I just love how Michael and Tom shared their hearts and insight into Second Samuel by describing the life application of King David's character, the good, the bad, and the ugly that we can all identify with in our own lives. And most importantly, God's redemptive plan at work in David, just as he's working in us, his love and his mercy and grace, while pointing us all to King Jesus as promised by God in Second Samuel 7 through the Davidic covenant that he will establish an everlasting kingdom. Stay tuned for next month's episode where Christine Schamberger and John Denman will walk us through the adventurous book of 1 Kings.